Did you, I wonder, hear a, hear a dawn chorus this morning? Or was the, the neighbourhood coel up a bit before that, annoyingly? That the sounds of sunrise, they, they depend on where you live, of course. Kookaburras, magpies, butcherbirds, parrots, scrub wrens, perhaps. A robin. How closely do you listen to that, that bird world that is around you? And I wonder that because for, for some people, birds, they're more than a background noise or incidental characters in the world. For some, they are a porter to a, a broader, deeper place. According to my next guest, to quote her, birds are my almanac. They tune me into the seasons and into myself. She's written a series of essays about birds, what they have meant to her. That is a book called Conversations with Birds. And its author is Priyanka Kumar, who joins us now from New Mexico. Priyanka, welcome. Thank you. I wonder if you can tell me your first bird memory. You know, uh, that's a great question. Uh, My first bird memory was actually thinking about a bird when I was about six or seven. (laughs) And I was living in Northeast India and um, going to this Catholic school run by Italian nuns. And uh, they would teach us a song um, called, uh, it kind of went like this, he loves me too, he loves me too, I know he loves me too. Because he loves the little bird, I know he loves me too. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, <laughs> so as I, I would go, um, I did a lot of hiking, even as a child, and I would hike through these bamboo thickets daily, and I would hum this little song to myself. So um, I wouldn't necessarily see so many birds back then. I was fascinated with snakeskins, and I would collect them. So um, I, while collecting snakeskins, I would be humming the song about the bird. And so that's that's really my first bird memory. It's interesting you say not seeing so many birds, because of course they were always there. Exactly. And I think this is one of the points that I hopefully make in my book with all the stories I tell, is that the birds are always there, but um, it's it's we who don't always see them. And I think as a little child, I was so... Um, obsessed and fascinated with snakeskins um, and snakes took up all my um, interest and in, in my observation skills that I don't know that I really saw birds then. So it wasn't until I came to um, California as a graduate student that my eyes truly opened to the beauty of birds. That's such an extraordinary thing because there you were, you say in India, in the foothills of the Himalayas, this is one of the most extraordinarily biodiverse, a wild place full of life. And oh, yet, absolutely. I mean, I would yet, hear um, jackals howling at night. And, um, you know, of course, I was I was hearing birds. Um, and we were surrounded by uh, incredible hills and forests and closer to home fruit trees. So I was very deeply engaged um, with the natural world around me. Uh, and I especially loved those fruit trees. Uh, and I heard the birds, but I didn't necessarily see them or pay um, any special attention to them as a child. Um, it was only later uh, that, uh, you know, when I 
and you're right, that was uh, the, the place I was living in, in the foothills of the Himalayas, is considered by scientists today to be one of the most biodiverse hotspots on the planet. Hmm. Um, so um, I didn't realize uh, the incredible richness that I was surrounded by. But then when we moved to a city later on, I experienced a profound loss. And I experienced that loss as a, a heartbreak. And I didn't know what it meant. And it took took me some time to parse out that I was experiencing the loss of biodiversity. Um, and so uh, it took a concerted effort on my part um, as a graduate student in my early 20s um, in Southern California to really go out into the landscape and try to engage with it in the same way that I had as a child. So you're living in, in, in Pasadena in, in your early 20s. I, and I, I, I think that's remarkable that you could identify that absence, that you had a clear sense of what it was that was missing in your life. I mean, I think that was partly because I spent the first 10 or so years of my life just surrounded by the riches of the natural world. And we, of course, didn't have... Um, um, a television set. And so um, there was really all the action, all the fun was outside. And anytime I wasn't in school, um, uh, you know, being taught by those uh, Italian nuns, um, I was uh, running around outside, whether it was, um, you know, uh, by mountains or, or forests or streams or fruit trees. And so um, all my formative uh, memories and experiences um, are are from from that time and 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 out in the natural world. I think the um, the wonderful thing though is that 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 you had lost the birds, but the birds came from India to find you in in Southern California. <laughs> oh, that's so nicely put. Yeah, um, yeah. I was um, what I was trying to do in Southern California was was walk daily the way that I had done as a child. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was I was desperately trying to re-engage with nature. Um, and of course, walking in Southern California means hitting roads all the time and, and roads that are choked with traffic and smog. And um, so I started walking as far away from those roads as I could get, and I would walk to the Huntington Gardens, and I'd, I had to cross this um, incredibly uh, expensive uh, neighborhood, um, a Tony neighborhood of San Marino, uh, which seem, seem, seemingly had only mansions. And, um, and it was there, interestingly, that I... Um, chanced upon a, a rare flock of the red-whiskered bulbuls who had, they were non-native birds, and I suppose they had uh, perhaps uh, escaped from an aviary, and they had set up, um, uh, there was a little small population of them in, in San Marino, and uh, seeing those birds and experiencing their beauty uh, really was like um, an echo from the past. I began once again to hear the music of the natural world the way I had heard as a little child in India. Uh, and a bird from India, it's it's it's, it's a wonderful serendipity. I, I, but this is the thing, is it not? I mean, a reminder of this other network of life, a reminder of this other dimension of, of earthly existence, of, of the natural world. 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think that being in the natural world is it, it's it's true. It's it's a reminder of of that mystery that exists. Uh, you know, another dimension. You know, we may we may believe strongly in science, and yet um, I think we all feel in our hearts and souls that there's there's something else. There's uh, you know, we can't with all our logical reasoning, um, we can't. Um, make sense of um, that mysterious dimension and beauty is certainly part of it. And I, I certainly responded to, to the beauty and, and the presence of those bobos. And <laughs> it was like uh, a door opened for me. Um, and and I, I, it put me on a path, a path of re-engaging with the natural world and experiencing once again um, all the connections, all those beautiful, mysterious connections that you experience when you're walking through trees and listening to birds and maybe seeing an insect on the path and just feeling that unity of yourself um, with with the earth. That's the wonderful thing, is it not? Not to see these things, these birds or other creatures as as others, as things separated from our life, but to feel that we are one of that world. Well, absolutely. I think that's so true. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do uh, by telling these stories is um, is maybe trying to get readers to empathize with these birds because, you know, we can talk about climate change and habitat loss uh, all we like in the abstract, but I don't think that we can truly understand what's happening in the natural world. And I don't think we can respond as effectively as we possibly can, unless we have a personal connection, a relationship, a dialogue, a conversation with the natural world. Um, and it's such a rewarding thing to cultivate that um, I hope that readers um, who experience these stories will feel inspired to cultivate that in their own lives. I wonder, though, what's going on in the mind of the object of your attentions, as much as, as, as this is sort of a, a resonant and, and surrounding universe that's, that you're seeing through through wildlife, through birds, their view of that place and that moment is, is very different to that of a human, I, I would imagine, if only I could talk to that bird, they would probably express strange thoughts to me. Oh, yes, and it's so true. You really get to see... Um... Uh, I mean, I think you really get to see life from so many different angles and just to, um, you know, think about not just birds, but other wild animals. And for instance, um, I don't have any fences around my my garden here in New Mexico, and we have wild animals that roam through like uh, bobcats and coyotes. Um, and of course, we have uh, rabbits, cottontails, um, and, and, you know, the rabbits are so exceptionally cute that it's hard not to empathize with them. Um, and then yesterday I was just looking outside and saw this coyote uh, walk by and head straight towards exactly down that slope where I know the rabbit lives. So, yeah. I mean, oh, dear. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I admire the beauty of the rabbit and of the coyote. And But, of course, there's... Um, there's something else going on. And and when the bobcat visits, um, you know, and, and the neighbors two houses down keep chickens. And, and sometimes I, I see feathers all around the bobcat. And, and it, it, of course, decides to, you know, kill the chicken in my rose bed. So, so I, I get to see um, that aspect of it. Um, 
from from all sides and and it's it's so true and even with birds i mean one of the birds that i uh, admire very much here is um the northern flicker um it's such a beautiful bird it's 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 got like uh it, it, it looks almost like a cartoon sprung to life and it's a year round resident so we have it in the winter as well uh but one day a few months back i was i drove back home and uh just before i was going to turn into my driveway i saw that um an occipiter uh so um you know uh, a occipiter like a cooper's hawk had uh, hmm. actually um uh pounced on 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 a northern flicker and the northern flicker was in its last throes of life and so I just I just stopped the car. I can you know they were right in front of me, and I, I I watched the whole drama play out. And in the end, the hawk just um, uh, you know uh, took that flicker in its bill and and flew away to to I guess have its dinner um, and and, ha- and have some privacy. <laughs> there is there is such drama being enacted all around us. It's. It... It's almost a necessity to to give it due attention. It's to give it its due. I mean, I think so. I think that um, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is how we're living in a world. Um, I mean, no matter which country we're in, we're living in a world that's uh, you know we're almost strapped to our devices. A lot of us are suffering from tech overload, mm. and um, I, I just think there's something complementary here. One way we can, um, you know. We can at least I find it to be healing uh, to to pay attention to this drama that's happening in the natural world and and to lose ourselves um, in the beauty of it all and uh, really to reconnect uh, not only with the natural world but with that sensory part of ourselves uh, with our hearts and souls and what it means to be human. Um, I mean, we're we're living in an unprecedented time um, over the last twenty years. Technology has basically all but overrun our lives, and uh, we haven't even had much time to think about how it's rewiring our our brains. But I think that one antidote is to is to be out there in the natural world, forming a connection uh, with birds and other wild animals, and um, really thinking about what we can do to to protect some of these uh, beautiful places that have so much to give us. At a time not only of technology and technological change, but of, of, of great change in, in that climate that supports us all, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, with all, all the fluctuations um, of um, temperature and precipitation, uh, and, and all of these are are impacting birds um, in many many ways. One, you know, some of the birds that I have been uh, researching d- deeply recently are grassland birds, like the long-billed curlew. And mm-hmm. this was incidentally another bird that was like um, a Zen teacher for me, and um, and opened that door wider into the natural world. Um, and so, grassland birds are some of our um, our fastest declining group of birds um, and grasslands because they're so exposed. It's just grasses, not trees are particularly uh, sensitive to temperature fluctuations. So, uh, but what I find is that when I connect with the long curlew or with the burrowing owl, which is another grassland bird, 
then I, I cultivate a deeper appreciation of, of how it is that climate change is impacting their lives mm. uh, and, and how we might possibly uh, respond um, so that uh, their survival is not threatened to um, such a strong degree. Priyanka, that, that idea of, of Kurlu as a Zen teacher is, is a great gift and I will carry that with me. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. Priyanka Kumar. Uh, her book is Conversations with Birds and it's published by Milkweed Editions. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.